I want to invite you to the book of Titus. Would you look there with me, please, toward the back of your New Testament there, back of your Bible, the little book of Titus. While you're turning there, it's especially a privilege for me to have both of my daughters here today, and my son-in-law and my grandson is here today. Many of you have been praying for little Luca. He is uh, doing well. He's the only one allowed to sleep during my message. <laughs> we are, if you are a guest here today, we are in the middle of a series called The Helper. It's a study of the Holy Spirit. And this is actually the third lesson on the subject. And we're going to look today at helping us find Jesus. That's the title of it. That's the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Helping us find Jesus. Now, I know that you could probably argue and you wouldn't get real far because I wouldn't debate it with you. The truth is that we don't really find Jesus. He finds us. I understand that. But when we're studying the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit, I want you to look with me at some things that he does, okay? In the book of Titus, chapter 3, we're going to begin with verse 1. And verse 5 is actually the key verse. So kind of follow along with me as we get to that point. Would you do that? If you're there in Titus, say, I'm there. All right. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Let me pause a moment. That's an interesting phrase, so I want you to see it, okay? The word appeared in this text. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration. Very interesting phrase. Please pay, pay close attention to it. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Is that Luke amen? I thought he was sleeping. All right, well, anyway, that's amen. All right, we interpret. He needs an interpreter, by the way, <laughs> in case you don't know that. But um, all right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we ask you to bless us now as we look to your word. God, we need the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can understand the Holy Spirit better and how he works in our lives. And God, I believe with all my heart there may be somebody here today, maybe a young person, maybe a, a senior saint or anybody in between, God, I don't know. But they need to hear this today and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and bless us now. God, give us minds to comprehend the message you have for us personally, Lord, hearts to feel what you'd have us to feel. And God, we ask now that you bless in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> when we think about the redemptive work of Jesus, it would do us well to first of all define the term redemption. So let me take a moment and do that with you. The biblical redemption that we speak of is an act of buying back by the paying of a ransom. Did you catch that? The act of buying back by the payment of a ransom. For those of us who are Christians today and having been redeemed, 
we understand and we associate this with having received freedom in Christ. That is, we were once enslaved to sin, but through Jesus we have forgiveness of our sin and we have been granted that freedom and release of that and we have been given eternal life. That's what we talk about when we talk about redemption, being redeemed. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 reads this way, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So we understand that Jesus died for us and he redeemed us. But we, we are going to look at a few things today that uh, the Holy Spirit does to bring us to that point that we understand. Now, if you are here and you have already received Christ as your Savior which is probably, without a doubt, the majority of us that are gathered in this building today. You're probably going to recognize these four things that we're going to talk about. You can relate to them. If you're here today and you have never made that decision, that is, you've not yet been born again, at some stage of this, you're probably going to recognize some of what's going on in your life. So uh, I do believe that there are going to be some things here that God wants to do in us. And so I hope that we'll be paying close attention to it. We're going to begin with uh, what we call convincing. So let me talk about how he works in convincing us. Convincing us. Now what exactly do we mean by that? The Holy Spirit comes on the scene. Our first encounter with him has to do with a convincing type of a ministry. What does he convince us of? Well, first of all, he convinces us that we're sinners. That's what he does. Now, we don't like that in today's world. I was reading uh, on this quite a bit in the last couple of weeks preparing. And we live in a world where people like what they call grace preaching. And I, I'm all for grace. I believe in grace. Were it not for grace, we would not be saved. Amen? Amen. But you cannot be saved unless you first understand your need of a Savior. You're not going to call on Jesus unless you know you need him. So how does that happen? Well, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has the responsibility the dealing with this thing of sin. In John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7, we read these words. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. That is the Holy Spirit we're talking about. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Actually, in the uh, Revised Standard Version, the word convict is translated convince. Because that's what it means. He will convince us that we have sinned. Now, what is sin? Well, we understand there are two types of sin. There's the sin of omission and the sin of commission. That is, commission is when we commit a sin that, or, or an act that is in rebellion to God in transgression to the character of God. Okay? God is holy. So when we do that which is unholy, we have transgressed. God outlines for us, even in the commandments, the Ten Commandments, He outlines for us some of His character. Since He is truth, for us to bear false witness means we have transgressed. Can I get an amen or that's right? Okay. Then there are sins of omission. The Bible says to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So if we know we ought to be doing something and we're not doing it, that can also be sin. So how do we know that we're a sinner? Well, the Holy Spirit introduces us to that. He begins to explain that to us. Some of you have heard the story of the angel that reported back to God about the condition of the society that we live in. He went up to God and he said, God, he said, I, I want to tell you it's not good. 95% of the people down there are sinning. 
They're trying to live their life completely without you. They're involved in all kinds of horrible stuff. Only 5% of the people down there are trying to live for you. So God said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I think I'll send each of that 5% a text. And, and I want to encourage them personally to keep shining the light. And, and do you know what the text said? Well, you didn't get one either? <laughs> well, anyway. Sin. We got to understand that we're a sinner. There's no question about it. When, we, when the Holy Spirit convinces us, some of us are harder to convince than others. I, I did come across a, a little uh, picture that I thought you might enjoy. Um, state prison next exit. Don't pick up hitchhikers. If you're having trouble reading that, the guy's standing there with a sign hoping to convince you that he will not kill you. So anyway, I don't know. So what does it take for you to be convinced that you need a Savior? The Holy Spirit does that. He begins to work on you. He begins to tell you, hey, uh, there are some things in our life. If we don't recognize that we are at odds with God, that we have been separated from God, then we don't really understand we got to get things done to get right with God. Am I right? That we got to get back in fellowship with God. Now, may I say this to you, and I think it's true, that on a much lesser level... We, we understand that if we have offended a friend or a neighbor or a family member, we understand that we try to work to get that right. Am I correct? We, we, we think, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to apologize to that person? Do I need to sit down? Do we need to humble ourselves and, and get rid of the pride in order to get that right? Well, the same thing is true with God. When you hear that you are at odds with God, when you hear that you have been separated from God because of sin, it brings the question up of, what do I need to do in order to be right with him? I find this subject of sin very interesting. A poll shows that 87%, 87% of Americans believe in a concept of sin. The only problem is the majority of them define sin as something being done wrong to other people. Now think about that for just a minute. To other people. The psalmist cried out in Psalm 51, he said, against thee and thee only, O Lord, have I sinned. We don't think about the fact that we are at odds with God. Listen, accountability is to God. And so I ask you today, what is your relationship like with him? When we think about this, and again, the question is asked uh, and, and, and has to be answered, why do I need a Savior? The Holy Spirit begins to convince us. We read a moment ago that, that when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, do you understand that not only does the Holy Spirit come to you and say, hey, this, this is wrong before God, sin has separated you from God, he convinces us of, of that, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. He convinces, but then he turns around and he also convinces us that Jesus loved you so much he died on the cross for you. And he rose from the dead. So he begins to make that appear to us. The reason you hear about Jesus is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason you understand what sin is and you begin to identify, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Statistics say that some 77% of Americans believe Jesus raised from the dead. 86% believe he was actually a real historical figure. 
I find that interesting and mind-blowing, really, if you stop and realize that, that he's contained in so many other places besides just the Bible, that 86% believe he existed, only 77% believe he rose from the dead. So I ask you today, where do you get this idea? And, and so uh, we are convinced by the Holy Spirit of God. Let me take a moment and say this because uh, here's another thing that has to do with his convincing us. He has to convince us or at least show us, persuade us to understand that we are in need of a new life, of a new birth. That we are dead in trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians tells us. That we are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, before I lose all of our young people or even many of our adults for just a moment let me just say this that doesn't make a lot of sense to people when they first hear it they say I'm not dead I'm alive I mean just look you're alive so what does that mean you're dead in sins what does that mean because we appear alive let me just say that you're composed of three parts your body soul and spirit the body is very much alive it's the external part of us that we see it's the physical the soul is actually the intellectual side. So you have the ability to reason. That is alive right now, by the way. You, you are alive physically and you are alive in your soul in that you can have the intellect and you can have reasoning. This is why a lot of people draw towards some sort of belief, not necessarily to the truth of the gospel, but they're drawn towards some sort of a belief because they've tried to reason this thing through. But the spirit of man, body, soul, and spirit, the spirit of man is dead is dead you say when did that happen it happened way back in the garden of Eden and the Bible tells us and I'll remind you in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die the spirit of man died instantly when man rebelled against God and we have inherited that according to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. We've inherited that dead spirit. So what happens is, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but bear with me. What happens is the Spirit of God begins to convince us that we have sinned and that we are dead in trespasses and sin. And we need that new birth. We need to be, here's the word, regenerated. And the Holy Spirit does that. But where does it start? It starts with a realization that we have sinned. It starts with a realization that we are dead spiritually. That means you cannot connect with God. God is a, a, a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and in truth, the Bible says. So you cannot connect with God. You can want to out of your reasoning, but you cannot unless the Holy Spirit leads you to that and helps you understand you're dead in sin and you must be made alive spiritually in order to walk with a God. So after he convinces us, number two on our list, let us look at how he calls us. His work in how he calls us. What does this mean, the call of God? Does he pick up a telephone? No. Does he say to you audibly? No. I'm not saying he can't do those things because he can do anything. I'm just saying that that's not the way it tends to work according to the scriptures. As a matter of fact, the call of God unto salvation is purely by the leading of the Holy Spirit. You cannot come to God if he does not call you. I want to be careful with this and I just want to say to you that this is not the time for me to debate for you efficacious grace versus common grace for some of you that are deeper thinkers on the subject of grace. 
I'll simply say this to you. I believe the Bible teaches both an elect call and a general call. I believe there is an elect call which leads to the fulfillment of the purpose of God. Romans chapter 9. You cannot argue that. You can, but you won't get very far. <laughs> then there's the general call which encompasses that verse that simply says, Whosoever will. I think it's indicative of the fact that the Bible says many are called and few are chosen. That is, not everybody that's called is going to respond to the gospel. That means not all of them are elect. I'll leave that there and I'll move on through this calling with you a little differently. John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. No one comes to him unless the Father draws him. So you say, wait a minute, I found Jesus. No, I know the title of our sermon today is, is helping us find Jesus. But ultimately, you did not find him. He found you and he called you unto himself. The Holy Spirit of God stepped in and said, you know something? I want to convince you that you are a sinner who needs salvation. Now I want to convince you that Jesus died for your sin. Now I want you to... Come to Jesus. That's what he said. Amen. I'm going to call you now. Now that call comes in a variety of ways. I've heard people talk about it as a gentle tug. I've, I've heard people talk about it as a more forceful tug. I've actually seen people in invitation times in church hold on to the seats in front of them until they are white knuckled because they will not respond. They feel like they should and they do not. Maybe you're seated here today and there have been times in your life when you've sensed God calling you unto salvation and you keep putting it off and you keep saying no. I will tell you this and I believe it's supported by a lot of scripture. I'm going to tell you, you cannot keep saying no to God and continue to expect him to keep calling. The day will come when you will not feel that call. Paul argued the point, don't harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Don't get to the point where you keep saying no to God until you're callous toward God. You may not have another opportunity. You say, preacher, you're trying to scare me into heaven. If I can scare you and get you there, I will. But I tell you, hell is real. And the call of God is real. And most of us that are in this room today know what that means. You remember that time when you felt called to come to Christ. And maybe today you're hearing it for the first time. And maybe today you're saying within your heart, you know, I don't understand what that is. That tug you're talking about, but it's there. I can't quite figure it out, but it's there. I just know I need to step out. This is the point in your life when you say something is missing. There's a hole in our life and we don't quite have it figured out I'll tell you what the whole is you got body soul and spirit and when the spirit is dead it creates a void in your life and that void is God sized only God can fit in that hole only Jesus can fit in that hole now people try to fill that hole with a lot of stuff they try to fill it with immorality they try to fill it with drugs and alcohol they try to fill it with all the dreams and materialism they try to fill it in a lot of ways but ultimately whether you're rich or poor whether you whether you're you're uh, straight as can be concerning your drugs and all of the various addictions or not there's a hole that remains until you trust Christ as your Savior. I happen to believe it's one of the greatest witnessing tools we have. The truth of the matter is, people don't know whether you're saved or not by looking at you, but you know whether you still have a void or not. 
We have a lady in our church, I'll not embarrass her by saying her name. She was involved in, in uh, religion for years and, and we were able to talk about her relationship with the Lord and she trusted Christ as her Savior. And she said to me this, after she was saved, she said, you know, even with all that I was involved in, she said, I knew something was missing in me. Something was missing in me. The call of God. Now one of the things God does use to call us that the Holy Spirit works with is the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. And this is why we ought to pay close attention. Romans 10 and verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, one of the reasons why if you've got a lost friend or lost family member, you need to try to get them to come to church with you. It's not because church will save them, because church will not save them. Can I get an uh-huh? It's not going to do it. Church not going to save you. But the word of God is preached and faith will be increased as a result of the preaching of the word. And people will respond in believing because the word of God is preached and proclaimed. It's the word of God. You've tried with all your might to win some people to Christ. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but some of you are there. I know this. I know this for a fact that some of us have tried to win people using our own human wisdom and reasoning. Only you keep coming up short. Not one time does the Bible say anything in regard to blessing your reasoning and your wisdom. It does say it will bless the word of God and it will not return void. Amen. So use the scripture, man. That's the answer, is it not? Use the scripture. And as you're sitting here listening now, perhaps you feel such a call on your life, such a tug on your life. John 6 and verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. I believe that's the elect call. And the one who comes to me, I will no means, by no means cast out. I believe that's the general call. I believe the Bible supports it in a number of areas. The truth of the matter is this. If you're here today and you know that you've sinned against God, you know that. And you want redemption, you want forgiveness of that sin, it's available. But you have a responsibility. And the responsibility is you've got to respond to the gospel. Isaiah said not everybody's believed the report. Have you believed the report? Have you believed the fact that without God, the wages of sin is death? And without God, you have no regeneration of the Spirit. Without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're on your way to a place known as the lake of fire eventually. And the Bible says that this is the way that it is. But you don't have to go there. You don't have to. And many in this very room can testify to the fact they were convinced of their sin. They were convinced of the compassion of Christ and they were called unto salvation and they responded to that call. Which leads me to number three in the way God works, the way the Holy Spirit works. So let me talk to you about how he works in creating us. That word regeneration is an interesting word. It refers to new birth, new life. It, it, it talks about how God steps in and totally makes us new. 
And this is supported obviously in so many places in the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus supported this very thought whenever he was talking to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Let me read to you that text, John 3, beginning in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Now let me pause for a moment. I, I, I just want to wanna say this. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Nicodemus' question. I, I think that's a practical question from a lost person. I'm up here talking about being born dead. That doesn't make sense. Am I right? How are you born dead? Well, the spirit is dead. You inherited a dead spirit from Adam. And without God intervening, it, it doesn't have life. So you operate out of the physical and out of the intellectual. But you cannot operate out of the spiritual. Not until you've been regenerated. Not until you've been created new. So I think it's a legitimate question. Born again? What? How can you do that? Can you enter a second time into your mother and be born? This, can, can, you def, can you explain this to me? The logical mind is having trouble. So Jesus explains it. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now let me pause a moment. Born of water and the Spirit. Some try to argue that this is baptism. That it's through the baptismal waters that you get redeemed. That's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about the physical birth and the spiritual birth. You say, how do you know that? Because he says it in the next verse. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You just got to keep reading. Amen? When a baby comes into this world, by the way, uh, Finley Watson came into the world this week. Finley Watson Miller. Six pounds, 14 ounces. Yeah. Handsome little thing. And uh, the Miller clan just gets bigger and bigger all the time, man. It's amazing. Bunch, bunch of babies. So uh, when a baby is born into this world, first thing that happens is the water breaks. A physical birth comes from the water. Jesus was saying this, and pay attention to it. you got to be part of the human race in order for salvation to be applicable to you. The, the angels do not have salvation. They don't have redemption available to them. They look at us and marvel because we have it. Jesus said, listen, you got to have... Now, now, I know what some of you are thinking. What about them cats and dogs you think are going to go to heaven? I'm not even going to go there right now. <laughs> you got to be born. I'm talking about. Well, okay. You got to be born. Born again. Born of the flesh and then born of the spirit. So what does it mean to be born of the spirit? It's that regeneration that takes place. Now let me, let me say this. And this is very important. That we grasp. Because if you don't grasp this, you're going to misunderstand my fourth point, And I don't want you to do that. Okay. When you get saved. It is an instantaneous impartation of eternal life. Amen. When you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you have eternal life. That's what the Bible says. You have it. And you do not lose it. You cannot lose it. 
The Holy Spirit moves in and seals you, and that's, the, that's another lesson in our study concerning the sealing and the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives us. But right now I'm talking about regeneration. I'm talking about being made new. I'm talking about what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we were dead in trespasses and sins. The Holy Spirit convinces us of that, teaches us that. The Holy Spirit calls us, draws us to Jesus Christ. We respond to that calling and he creates in us a new person. In Romans chapter 6, when Paul was dealing with the subject of baptism, I want you to see that with me. Would you turn over there for just a minute? Romans chapter 6. Look at verse number 4, Romans 6 and verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, catch this now, should walk in newness of life. Now, let me, let me do this, let me explain. When, when, when the Holy Spirit regenerated us, he made us new, gave us a new birth. It was that being born again experience that we're talking about. We have eternal life imparted to us. Amen. Baptism is a symbol of what has happened. Right. Baptism is only a symbol. It doesn't wash away our sin, but it says to us, we died with Christ and we rose with Christ. Now we're to walk in newness of life. Yeah. But let me give you something here. There's a lot of people struggling with that newness of life part. I'm just being real. Would you be real with me? A lot of people struggling with the newness of life part. So that leads me to how the Holy Spirit works. Number four in your notes, if you want to write it down, how he works in converting us. In converting us. Now one of the problems that we seem to have in our society is we tend to think the terms conversion and redeemed or conversion and salvation are synonymous terms. We tend to think that way. But I don't believe the Bible teaches it. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, we find these words. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of your refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let me throw something else in at you for just a moment. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse number 18. And it happened as he was alone praying, that's Jesus, 
that his disciples joined him and he asked them saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. Amen. Now, I believe that is the salvation experience of Peter, or at least a declaration that he has indeed trusted Christ. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Now follow with me, because in Luke 22, many chapters later, Luke 22 and verse 32, I'm going to read from the KJV first and then the New King James. The Old King James reads, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now wait a minute. In Luke 9, he has an experience claiming Jesus as Christ. But in Luke 22, Jesus speaks of being converted at a later time. Hasn't happened yet. In the New King James, it's rendered differently. Same Greek word, obviously. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. If you study Acts 3, when Peter said, repent and be converted, this is what you're going to find. Repentance is a turning away from sin. You can't get saved if you don't first recognize what we've been talking about today, that we're sinners on our way to hell, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You can't get saved if you don't recognize that. So repentance is to turn away from it. The problem is, on occasion, somebody's going to come to an altar and they're going to pray. And they're going to get up from there and they're going to, they're going to have left all of their past. All of their troubles. Man, I've seen people lay down bottles of alcohol. I've seen people walk away from cigarettes. I've seen people walk away from cussing and various forms of life. I'm telling you, they, they get up a different person and they leave it all behind. But I've seen a whole lot of other people that get up and carry a lot of stuff with them for a while. Huh? And somewhere along the road, somebody comes along and they start preaching something that sounds like this. If you didn't give it all up, then you never got saved. Well, now hold on a minute. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, didn't you do what God told you to do? Yeah. The problem is you're in the process of conversion. It's taken you a little while to get fully committed. Here's what you find. You find that repentance is a turning away from sin. To be converted is a turning to God to worship. And the problem is, if I could illustrate this, if I had a rope attached to this arm and I'm turning away from sin and I'm trying to get over here to Jesus to live like he wants me to live, that old rope keeps pulling me back. And I try a little bit and he keeps pulling me back. And it's not until I make some changes in my life and I begin to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way and I yield to his leading that I experience a wholehearted commitment. Make no mistake, I received all of the Holy Spirit there is to receive the moment I got saved. But He didn't necessarily get all of us. He didn't. 
Now, I know that may be news to some people today, so you sit and uh, absorb it a little bit, but the truth of the matter is this. Some of us that are in that gradual process, we need to go ahead and make a commitment to Christ and say, you know something, Lord, you delivered me from all of that. There's no need for me to still be wallowing in it. We started our text out with a passage of scripture from Titus chapter 3. It reads this way. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, Serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So what happens when we who are saved still live like we're lost? We're having trouble with this conversion thing. We're having trouble giving God everything. We gave him enough to take care of our fire insurance. Amen? And for some of us, it stopped right there. Stopped right there. I'm not trying to say you didn't get saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you may be in the process of conversion. And right now, hear me out. Please hear me out. If you have never been saved, I'm telling you the Holy Spirit will work to convince you. He will work to call you. He will work to create in you anew. But once he has done that, he will now work to convert you further into the fullness of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ to his measure, to him and his likeness. And some of us need to learn to yield to that leading of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? Would you bow your heads with me for a moment, please? The songwriter said, I have decided to follow Jesus. He repeated it several times and then said, no turning back, no turning back. In the second stanza, he wrote, the world behind me. The cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. And perhaps my favorite of the stanzas of his song. Though none go with me. Still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. So how about it? You're here today without Christ as your Savior, never been born again. The Holy Spirit is tugging and pulling right now, inviting you to Christ. Will you respond? You're here today and you've already been saved, but the Holy Spirit's been working on your conversion now, gradually making you into the image of Christ. And you've been resistant. Is it time you yield? Is there a limit to how far you'll follow him? Or will you follow wherever he leads? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you would like to know more about how to be born again, <clears throat> we have some counselors. I'm going to ask our counselors, our teachers, our workers to make their way forward in just a moment. We begin this invitation. You make your way forward uh, anticipating there may be somebody who needs to hear about how to be born again. We'd like to show you from the scripture what that involves. It's a very simple thing. It'll take just a few moments of your time. It'll make all of the difference for eternity. But if you're here today and you've already made that decision, what's happening in the way of your conversion? Have there been times where you, like Peter, have almost denied Christ? Disassociating, maybe by lifestyle or 
even by things you say or do. Have you returned to Him? Is that why you're here today? To return to Him? Will you return to Him with all of your heart? Will you love Him with all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your body? Will you remove all hindrances and restrictions? Will you embrace the fact that He is Lord? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you have a need you'd like to pray about, you come and you pray at the altar. Nobody's going to approach you unless you ask us to talk with you and pray with you. If you're here today and you need Christ, you come let us know. Otherwise, you come, you spend time as the Lord leads. Would you stand with me please while I pray? Father, we come to you.